Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on The Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about the start of the Syracuse basketball season and a win for the football team. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Bierman, and our guest today is friend of the show and Syracuse.com's Mike Waters. Mike, thanks so much for coming back on the program. It's your seventh year on the program, if you can believe it. Uh, man, that, that's, that's a, that's a nice streak. I'm not exactly Cal Ripken yet, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike, I want to get you started on this one. Syracuse has gotten lackluster play from its center position in the last two years, but we got to see junior Barama Sidibe play in Italy and he looked healthy for the first time since he's been at Syracuse, averaged eight points and 12 rebounds. Do you see him taking a big step forward in his junior year? I think he can. Uh, this might be the time because for the first time it appears that he's healthy first time since the very beginning of his freshman season. And he had an off season in which he was healthy. And that makes such a different difference for young players. If a younger player is having to spend their off season rehabbing an injury or recovering from surgery, it delays their overall development. Uh, They need to be working out. They need to be playing uh, going through workout drills with coaches or managers. And Barama was not able to do that to 100% effectiveness a year ago. Um, and I'm not even sure if he was 100% healthy during last season. There were times when it appeared that maybe he had some uh, residual pain in the knee or he was just hesitant on it. Um, but, man, on that Italy trip, he looked bouncy. He looked active. Uh, getting all those rebounds, and I, I'm, we're having to temper everything with this caveat. The competition over there wasn't good, and especially the the, the people up front. Uh, he went up against nobody as good as the worst guy he'll go up against in the ACC. <laughs> so um, <laughs> we'll have to see. But he, I thought he still played well, and just the fact that he's healthy. And I, I actually just checked again with the, some of the Syracuse assistant coaches late last week, and everyone's healthy, including Barama, as they get ready for the start of practice this week. Mike, let's move on to another guy who seems poised for a breakout year, Jalen Carey. Last year, he played early but had trouble shooting and also had trouble with ball security. He's going to be getting the playing time this year because Tyus Battle and Frank Howard are gone and there's no one in front of him. Do you see him taking a big step forward, much like we just talked about with Barama? I'm not completely sold yet. He played well at times in Italy, 
But again, he didn't go up against anybody in Italy who could guard him. No one could stay in front of him. He just drove by people. And then again, the bigs were so bad, there's no help defense. He was getting clear to the rim. That's it. He might be able to go by somebody this coming season. Uh, he's very quick and a strong kid. So, yeah, I could see him getting by his man. But there's always going to be help defense. There's going to be somebody at the rim. So then what's he going to do? Well, Italy didn't tell me that. Now, he's going to have options. This team has a lot of good shooters. Elijah Hughes is a good shooter. Buddy Beheim's a good shooter. Uh, Joe Girard is going to come off the bench probably and be a good shooter. A couple of the forwards can shoot. Uh, Braswell and Quincy Guerrier can knock down an open three. So if he's able to drive, penetrate, kick dish, that's all fantastic for him. But the outside shot is still a huge liability, and I'm just not still you know, sure about his ball handling. Uh, and as you mentioned, nobody's in front of him this year, but keep a guy on the, uh, on, keep an eye on a guy who's right behind him, and that's Bryson Goodine. I think very highly of this freshman. I think he's much better than his prep ratings. He's tall, lanky, sees the floor, and he can knock down a shot. So if we don't see improvement out of Jalen early on, if his shot uh, or lack of an outside shot becomes a liability, if he's turning the ball over, if he's driving but not creating, uh, Bryson Goodine is going to be pushing him right from the get-go. So in a way, that's a good thing for Syracuse. They have options at the point, and I think these two young players are going to push each other. Mike, you just kind of touched on this in your answer to the last question. You mentioned Joe Girard. He's the most talked-about incoming Syracuse freshman. He's New York State's all-time leading scorer, passing another upstate legend, Jimmer Fredette. How does he fit into this rotation? You already mentioned backcourt guys like Buddy Bayheim and Bryson Gadine, Jalen Carey. We haven't even mentioned Howard Washington yet. Is there a scenario where he gets squeezed out of playing time and can't crack the rotation? I don't know. I, I'll be totally honest with you. With, with practice still a day or two away here and not having seen the, the team work out since watching them play in Italy, and in Italy everybody could play you know, half the game, I don't know. It, it'll be really interesting to see how the whole backcourt rotation fleshes out. Who's the starting point guard? How many minutes do they get? Is there a backup there? Buddy Beheim, he's a good player, better than I expected. Obviously a really good shooter. At 6'5", now nudging up towards 6'6", even though he's not terrific athletically, especially laterally on defense, he's knowledgeable, he's got good instincts on defense, and he's got the size to make up some ground defensively out on the perimeter. So how many minutes does he play? And, you know, obviously he's the guy ahead of Joe. I like Joe Girard's toughness, his work ethic. He plays with a blue-collar style of play that sort of belies the fact that he was a 50-point-per-game scorer in high school and shot a ton of threes. He plays differently than you think. Um, He's hard-nosed. And kind of um, in that way, he's a lot like a Jerry McNamara. I hate comparing anybody to a guy like that because Jerry's off the charts in terms of, you know, what he did in college and uh, and his legend. But still, Joe's a good all-around player. Uh, he's not just a guy who has to have shots. And he shot the ball better than anybody else in Italy. 44% from three-point range. Small sample size, but 11 out of 25 is 11 out of 25. And that was from the international distance, the new distance that they're going to use in college ball this year. So, you know, I, when I look at this team, not just at that two-guard position, but 
I don't see the same separation between starter and sub that you've seen in past years, like when you had Tyus Battle and his backup, or O'Shea Brissett and whoever his backup was, um, Elijah Hughes and his backup. So I have to wonder if we're going to see starters' minutes decrease this year from the numbers that we're used to seeing and maybe utilize one of this team's potential strengths, which is the depth. Mike, you already mentioned Quincy Guerrier, and yes, it was against lesser competition, but he dominated when he played in Italy. He showed he's a three-level scorer and a tenacious rebounder. I really think it's between him and Marek Dolajai to start. Do you see Marek or Quincy as a starting power forward? Right now, I think I lean towards Quincy, but you know we'll have to wait and see some of the you know how practices are run early on, and by October 26th when they play exhibition games. Uh, then we'll really start to know. The uh, I lean towards Quincy right now. I think, first of all, to be totally honest, it's because I saw him start in Italy. And yes, Marek was not there, but he started in Italy and played well. And he shot the three when it was there, usually only when he was wide open. But he made enough that he's a threat. But I love his size and his strength. And he's not as tall as Marek. I think Marek's probably got him by two or three inches in terms of height. But Quincy is put together physically. I mean, if I had his upper body, I don't think I'd ever wear a shirt. And I'm <laughs> including in the winter in Syracuse. I mean, there is no reason at all. Uh, he is built like a Greek god. And I think that's what this team needs. Because when I looked at the team before they went to Italy and looked at the roster, I was like, well, who is going to rebound? You know, rebounding could be a real problem for this team. Rebounding was a problem last year and they were losing Pascal Chukwu and O'Shea Brissett. They rebounded just fine in Italy, and I think part of the reason was, was Quincy. Now, I also like the idea of Marek coming in off the bench. He's not a Swiss Army Knight, but he's a Slovakian Army Knight, because he can play both <laughs> forward and center. Um, and I know the coaches say that they like their freshman centers, Jesse Edwards and John Bolajak. Well, I also know Jim Behan well enough to know he values experience and he likes guys that he's comfortable with. And I know he's comfortable with Marek on the floor, no matter what position. And I can see him getting some time at the five. So, you know, he, he could be the guy you bring off the bench. And if Barama has messed up a couple times early in the game, you put him in at center. Or if you see something going on out there and you want to move Elijah there too, or you need to take Quincy out, Marek can go in and be your forward. Um, he could almost be the front court version of, a, of some of the guys we've seen as the sixth man, usually at the guard position in, in recent years. Mike, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you've been on this podcast every year since around this time in 2012. I've gotten six predictions from you. You've been pretty close to being spot on on all of them. That's a shock. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've been spot on every year. Uh, so let's get a prediction for you for the seventh year. I see this as a bubble team. Do you agree? And how is the season going to play out? Yeah, I think they're a bubble team. Um, I know a few uh, pr- predictions and prognosticators have come out recently. Andy Katz and NCAA.com had him, uh, I think, the first four out uh, of his uh, NCAA field. Uh, Athlon Magazine did not have them in. I I see them ed- ed- inching their way in. I the early part of the season is going to be vitally important. This is a young team losing four starters off last year's team. So they're young and inexperienced, and they've got a, a really tough early schedule. 
uh, starting off with Virginia, the defending national champion, but a road game at Georgia Tech, road game at Georgetown, home game against Iowa, neutral court games in New York City against some teams that are under the radar but going to be tough, uh, starting with Oklahoma State and then either Penn State or Ole Miss, and don't look past Ole Miss. They're going to be good this year. I really believe that. Um, But I still think if they can do well enough in the early part of the season, I think this team can make hay in the ACC. And I know a lot of people are overlooking them, but once you get past the four or five ACC teams that are in the top tier, and that would be Louisville, Duke, Carolina, Virginia, Syracuse is going to have to make sure that they're – one of the next two or three teams. And that means you got to be better than Florida state, North Carolina state, uh, Notre Dame, which gets Rex Fluger back this year. Uh, so watch out for the, the Irish making a huge leap up from where they were a year ago. But those are some of the teams that are going to be there in the middle, but right near the top. And you got to make sure you're in the top six to seven teams in the ACC in order to get a bid. And I think they can do it. I think the schedule plays out in their favor. Um, they don't have more than two road games in a row, so there's no three-game road trips. They don't have any Saturday-Monday turnarounds. Um, so, you know, they have a few parts of the schedule where they play some tough teams over the course of a month, but they don't play like four in a row. Where you know, So hopefully they can lose a th- uh, or they can avoid a three- or four-game losing streak. So... Um, I, I, I kind of have them going about 10 and 10 or 11 and nine in the ACC and I, and making the tournament as long as they're able to keep their heads above water early on in the year. Mike, thank you so much for coming back on the program again. Our great friend, Mike Waters, always doing a great job of covering the Syracuse basketball team for Syracuse.com. Mike, enjoy the beginning of the season. We'll talk with you soon. Thanks for having me on, Wes. It's always good talking to you too. Have a good season. Always great to speak with Mike Waters, and I'm now joined on the phone by the Juice Online Editor-in-Chief and my very good friend, Brad Bierman. Brad, how are you today? I'm doing well, Wes. Thank you. Brad, the Syracuse football team ending its mini two-game losing streak, defeating Western Michigan 52-33 to in what was an offensive slugfest. It evened their record at 2-2, two and two, and it was nice to see Syracuse's offense play up to its potential, don't you think? It certainly was, Wes. Uh, scoring points is the name of the game uh, in, in Dino Baber's philosophy, right? Fast, faster, faster, fastest. And they want to score points. They want to have a high-tempo offense. And we have seen through the first, you know, four games now, ups and downs. Uh, it, it takes time to, to get everything in sync. You, you've had a rebuilt offensive line for all four games. You've had receivers drop balls. You've had running backs fumble the ball. You've had Tommy DeVito made some ill-advised decisions. The coaching staff is going to go back and say all to be expected with, with, with the competition that's been on the field and then the developments with changing personnel because of injuries and whatnot. So it's great to see offensive points. It's great to see Tommy DeVito hooking up the long ball. Boy, I'll tell you, his 56-yard TD to Tristan Jackson was just a thing of beauty. Uh, he really has a gun of an arm. Uh, great to see contributions from other players like tight end Aaron Hackett. Great to see the running game keeping things balanced. And great to see that offensive line, you know, stay together uh, going through with the injuries. And, you know, Western Michigan is a quality MAC opponent. They're not a total ACC caliber team, obviously, but a very good opponent. So they have, you know, players that are going to play in the NFL dotted across their roster. 
uh, really good opponent to get some sort of indication from from the offensive standpoint. And, and as I uh, mentioned, you know, uh, in instant juice after the game, the growth of Tommy DeVito. I, I think we've seen that in four games, and, and, and he certainly grew leaps and bounds uh, against Western Michigan West. Brad, Syracuse's defense gave up 33 points, so not a great outing, but they did get two late fourth down stops as part of a five turnover afternoon. It was bed not break, but Syracuse's defense at least seems to be heading in the right direction, wouldn't you say? Well, they're heading in the right direction, but again, I think what this has seen uh, is is about the depth now, and, and now here, let's look at the defense. Played minus two starters in the secondary, so half of your secondary starters did not play, so you're going with reserve players, and if those players get hurt, then you're down to a third-string player. So it was a, a test of some depth from the secondary, but there's certainly nothing wrong with the defensive line, Kendall Coleman, Alton Robinson, and company. I think the linebackers came back with a strong game uh, against Western Michigan. Uh, and again, Western Michigan's got some talented uh, offensive threats uh, at key positions, running back wide receiver, although the best receiver got hurt early in the game. And they had a, a pretty good quality veteran quarterback. So again, it was a good test for this defense playing with, with, with you know, reserve players. And this again is a testimony less to what, Fino Babers and the staff have been doing now going into four years, building that roster, building the depth to compete in the ACC. So this was a game where a lot of players got to see action. And uh, I think that can only help uh, moving forward as, you know, they evaluate and develop these players that are coming off the bench. Brad, you talk about evaluating players and getting more playing time. And I think that's what's going to happen when they play Holy Cross this weekend, an FCS opponent. There's no doubt in my mind that Syracuse is going to win this game and win this game by a lot, but that's not really the point of this game. I think it's more about getting the second, third, and even fourth string guys some reps. Yes, Wes, and this is also about schedule maintenance. Going into the season, the coaching staff looks and sees opening at Liberty, Power 5 game, Maryland. ACC gives them Clemson home game in week three. And so they, they had known with these out-of-conference games where they were scheduled in advance later in September for Western Michigan, and then having to play the FCS game late September and then have a week off as dictated again by the ACC. So going into the season, I think the coaching staff looks at that. They, they, they look at all the different scenarios, 4-0, and 2-3-1, what's going to transpire, who may get hurt, how, how the games may, may, may finish up, and then they get to each week for preparation. So, like you say, going into Holy Cross now, an FCS team fell to Yale in its previous game. Uh, Certainly a a big disparity of talent on the field. They're going to go into this game with uh, the game plan being, you know, the starters obviously are going to see an amount of time until the game is too one-sided. Then reserve players are going to get in, and this is going to be key to get them on film, be able to do some teaching. Then it heads into that open week, so it'll be a little bit lighter with the practice schedule to let the players through the first five games heal up a little bit, but also have some more time to develop after having a chance to watch some film of the Holy Cross game. So it's all part of the schedule maintenance. And, you know, Syracuse does not play on four Saturdays this year because they play a Thursday night and Friday night game. And then with the calendar being 14 weeks, have two off Saturdays. So kind of unusual in that sense that there won't be four Saturdays of Syracuse football uh, beginning on October 4th. But again, part of the routine schedule maintenance that 
the staff has been really good in developing. And then the other thing I wanted to mention with that is the, the rule that took effect last year, of course, players get to play up to you know four games and, and still have the red shirt. So I think that's going to come into play as well against Holy Cross. We'll see some New Jersey numbers on the field in the dome, and that, that's certainly good news for the program moving forward to get development for these younger players. Brad, we are right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. Well, the, the ACC released the uh, starting times for basketball, and I wrote an orange watch last week. And, you know, I mean, they're starting off, of course, with Virginia, which is, you know, that's, that, that's the programming number one that the coaches knew about a year ago. Wow, we're going to start the season off with a bang, a conference game. And Jim Beheim knew that was going to be Virginia. So then number two, it's, of course, an ACC network exclusive. So that all has to be if you don't get it to games or you have to find them, you have to find the games online or whatever. And then number three, when they announced 9 o'clock tip-off, it's like, come on, strike three. Boo to the ACC. Uh, we understand the programming that needs to have that in prime time. But, geez, a lot of fans at the Dome, midweek, 9 o'clock tip, got to say boo to that. That's my final thought. Brad, my closing thoughts are on former Syracuse star Carmelo Anthony, who is still without an NBA home. It seemed like the Brooklyn Nets might sign Anthony, especially with the suspension of Wilson Chandler for the early part of the season. But reports on Tuesday said that Nets management was no longer interested in signing Anthony, despite pressure from stars Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Brad, it seems like this might be the end of Anthony's career, and it's sad to see him go out like this. That's it for us. For Brad Bierman, this is Wes Chang reminding you that I'm going to make you a sandwich doesn't sound threatening unless the person who said it is a wizard. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network.